faith that worketh by love literally scares the hell out of the devil. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Satan doesn't fear the dreadful weapons of men. Man's weapons of war have no power in the true realm of all reality, which is the realm of the spirit. The realm of the spirit is not apparent to the natural eye. Jesus speaks of it in Luke 17, 20 and 21. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation, neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Concerning the power of the unseen, 2 Corinthians four seventeen and 18 reads, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Unless one would suppose that invisible equates to make-believe, one needs only consider gravity, centrifugal force, electromagnetic force, and force fields of all variety, as well as the wind, electricity, and so many more invisible powers. The world's most powerful forces are invisible. Now think of the invisible God of creation and the adversary of our souls, Satan. What did carnal man's eyes see atop Golgotha's hill 2,000 years ago? On the day of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the natural eyes saw a beaten and bloodied, mutilated and humiliated young single Jewish man struggling up Golgotha's hill to be crucified between two thieves. The Roman soldiers mocked and spat upon him. The Jewish priests and leaders jeered and railed upon him. He was nailed with large spikes to a wooden cross and suspended between heaven and earth. By all natural appearances, a fool, even a naked pauper. While his life's blood oozed from his wounds as he struggled to fill his lungs with air, the soldiers at the foot of this great suffering cast lots for his clothing. His loving apostles and disciples, even his mother and family, grieved so very deeply, for all was lost. That was what the natural eye saw. But Satan, with the eye of the Spirit, saw something altogether different. When Jesus Christ gave up the ghost with his last breath, commending himself into the hands of his Father, surely all appeared lost. But Satan saw something else. Satan saw the arguments he made before God smashed the smithereens. Satan saw his kingdom spoiled and all power and authority given to Jesus Christ. Satan saw a way of escape erected for all who chose to be loosed from his dark dungeons of unbelief. Satan saw himself and his evil angels booted out of heaven, knowing their time is short. Satan saw his devils being evicted from the bodies of men and being forced to seek habitation in the pigs. Satan saw and trembled as he envisioned a holy host 
of blood-bought sons and daughters of God, wielding faith that worketh by love as their weapons, charging his strongholds and knocking down his gates and setting captive souls free millions upon millions. This is just some of what Satan saw on Golgotha's hill. Have you been born again, as Jesus declares, born a literal second time, this time of the Spirit of God? Will today be your day where all your sin and its shame will be forgiven? Will today be your day when all Satan's bondages are broken, and I mean every single one? Are you ready to see and even enter into the all-powerful, invisible kingdom of God? Will today be the day you step out from the deep darkness you can feel and into the dazzling light of the Christ of glory? Today, your soul is in your hand. Follow me in this simple prompt and everything changes, absolutely everything. Are you ready? Here we go. Click on the Further with Jesus for childlike instructions and immediate entry into the kingdom of God. Now for today's subject. God said Romans chapter 1, 18 through 28. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse." because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, and to birds, and four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness, through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause gave them, uh, God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature, and likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. God said, Proverbs chapter 6, 6 through 8, Go to the ant, thou sluggard, and consider her ways, and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer, and gathereth her food in the harvest. God said, Psalm 77, verse 12, I will meditate also of all thy work, and talk of thy doings. Man said, Evolution should no longer be referred to as a theory. Anyone with any real education know it's true. Now the record. Welcome to God Said, Man Said, feature 993. 
that will once again certify the perfect and supernatural inerrancy of God's beautiful book. All of these dynamic features are archived here in text and streaming audio for the defense of the gospel and for the empowerment of the children of God. Every Thursday Eve, God willing, they grow by one. Thank you for coming. May your heart be encouraged by God's marvelous Holy Bible. In the Scriptures, heathen are those who do not belong to God's household of faith. They reject the Word of God for the teachings of men and doctrines of devils. One must know that the end of that exercise is death and death more abundantly. Psalms chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. That passage reminds me of the water buffalo, the whale, and the banana. Strange grouping of words, you may think, but consider the following excerpts from the God Said, Man Said feature, Darwin's whale returns with mouth wide open. Evolutionists were forced to come up with a plausible theory on how seagoing mammals, such as whales, dolphins, and porpoises, evolved. Remember, mammals supposedly evolved from the sea, so how did these mammals end up back in the water? Some evolutionists suggest that an even-toed land mammal like the water buffalo is the likely candidate to have evolved into the present-day whale. They speculate that the water buffalo liked to hang around the water a lot, and over eons of time his hind legs simply fell off and his front legs changed into flippers. And the science student said, no kidding. The water buffalo, uh, his hairy hide, simply changed into smooth, thick blubber, and his nostrils slid up to the top of his head to form a blowhole. <laughs> then his tail evolved into flukes, and because he was floating around in the water all the time, his body became enormous. And the student said, Isn't that interesting? Sound absurd? Do you think I'm exaggerating? The following excerpt is from Volume 50 of National Geographic, written by V.B. Sheffer. The whale's ascendancy to sovereign size apparently began 60 million years ago when hairy, four-legged mammals in search of food or sanctuary ventured into water. As eons passed, change slowly occurred. Hind legs disappeared. Front legs changed into flippers. Hair gave away to a thick, smooth blanket of blubber. Nostrils moved to the top of the head. The tail broadened into flukes. And in the buoyant water world, the body became enormous. Finally, consider this idea. Evolutionary biologist Robert May was quoted in the January 2001 issue of Discover magazine. The more we learn about genome, the more it teaches us about our own place in the web of life. For example, we share half our genes with the banana. Actually, it would be more accurate to say bananas share half their genes with us because their genome is smaller. This is a fact more evident in some of my acquaintances than others. The article's author said, This year, the mapping of the genome shocked us, revealing a truth even more humbling and amusing. We are not just monkeys, 
but their favorite snack as well. The title of the article is Your Cousin, the Banana. And the class of students said in concert, No kidding! Because they begin in unbelief, the end of their search is strong delusion and a reprobate mind. The March 2016 issue of Acts and Facts published a feature titled, Are Whales and Evolution Joined at the Hip? Much of that article follows. Some evolutionists used to imagine that whales could evolve from an animal like a bear. Charles Darwin considered how black bears can swim for a long time once he wrote about such bears. Swimming for hours with widely open mouth, thus catching like a whale insects in the water. Even in so extreme a case as this, if the supply of insects were constant and if better adapted competitors did not already exist in the country, I can see no difficulty in a race of bears being rendered by natural selection more and more aquatic in their structure and habits with larger and larger mouths till the creature was produced as monstrous as a whale, end of quote. And the science class said, isn't that interesting? As Romans chapter 1 quoted earlier points out, those who cast off God's word in their acts of unbelief are without excuse because all that the eye can see and all that the mind can imagine is the handiwork of God. Creation science presents a concept known as irreducible complexity, which was introduced by William Paley in his 1802 book, Natural Theology. The following paragraph discussing Paley's book and, a concept, uh, and the concept of irreducible complexity is from Dr. Henry Morris's book, Defending the Faith. The book, Natural Theology, began with a detailed description of the irreducible complexity of a functioning watch, noting that even the most rabid skeptic would acknowledge that the watch, or at least its prototype, must have been designed and made by a skilled watchmaker. Just so, he argued persuasively, the much more complex universe required a universe maker. End of quote. Lee Strobel interviews famed biochemist Michael J. Behe, Ph.D., on the subject of irreducible complexity in his book, The Case for a Creator. Several excerpts follow. Dr. Behe begins. As amazing as this psyllium is, I was even more fascinated by another biological machine for propelling cells, the bacterial flagellum. While cilia acts uh, like ores to move cells, it was discovered in 1973 that the flagellum performs like a rotary propeller, Behe explained. Only bacteria have them. Where does it get its energy, I asked. That's an interesting phenomenon, he replied. Some other bio biological systems that generate movement, like muscles, use energy that has been stored in what's called a carrier molecule. But the flagellum uses another system, energy generated by a flow of acid through the bacterial membrane. This is a complex process that scientists are still studying and trying to understand. The whole system works really well. The flagellum's propeller can spin at 10,000 revolutions per minute. As a car aficionado, I was staggered by that statistic. A friend had recently given me a ride in his exotic high-performance sports car, and I knew it wasn't capable of generating that many RPMs. 
Even the notoriously high-revving Honda S2000 with the state-of-the-art four-cylinder, two-liter, dual-overhead cam aluminum block engine featuring four valves per cylinder and variable intake and exhaust valves timing has a redline of only 9,000 RPMs. Not only that, Bay, he continued, but the propeller can stop spinning within a quarter turn and instantly start spinning the other way at 10,000 RPMs. Howard Berg of Harvard University called it the most efficient motor in the universe. It's way beyond anything we can make, especially when you consider its size. How small is it, I asked. A flagellum is in the order of a couple microns. A micron is about one twenty thousandth of an inch. Most of its length is the propeller. The motor itself would be maybe one hundred thousandth of an inch. Even with all of our technology, we can't even begin to create something like this. Sometimes in my lectures, I show a drawing of the flagellum from a biochemistry textbook, and people say, it looks like something from NASA. If you think about it, we've discovered machines inside ourselves. On Star Trek, they had a creature called the Borg, which has tiny machines inside. Well, it turns out everybody does. Think of this too, Bay, he continued. Imagine a boat with its motor running. Uh-oh, nobody's steering it. It goes out and crashes. Boom. Well, who's steering the bacterial cell? It turns out it has sensory systems that feed into the bacteria flagellum and tell it when to turn on and when to turn off so that it guides it to food, light, or whatever it's seeking. In a sense, it's like those smart missiles that have guidance systems to help them find their target, except there's no explosion at the end. And the flagellum is irreducibly complex. That's right, he said. Genetic studies have shown that between 30 and 35 proteins are needed to create a functional flagellum. I haven't even begun to describe all its complexities. We don't even know the roles of all its proteins. But at a minimum, you need at least three parts, a paddle, a rotor, and a motor that are made up of various proteins. Eliminate one of those parts, and you don't get a flagellum that only spins at 5,000 RPMs. You get a flagellum that simply doesn't work at all. So it's irreducible complexity and a huge stumbling block to Darwinian theory. I asked, has anyone been able to propose a step-by-step -step evolutionary explanation of how a gradual process could have yielded a flagellum? In a word, no, he said with a chuckle, end of quote. The handiwork of God leaves the skeptics without excuse. Psalms 19.2, day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. Three creation shorts published by creation101.org will leave the redeemed with a shout of hallelujah. But to the unredeemed and their soured skeptics, these marvelous feats of creation will be attributed to a big explosion out of nothing and then time and chance. Keep that in mind as you read about these marvels of creation. The Bristle-Thighed Curlew The Bristle-Thighed Curlew is an amazing bird. When the Alaskan-born chicks are just five weeks old, the parents abandon them and migrate to the South Pacific. For the next few weeks, the chicks go on a feeding frenzy, fattening themselves up for the same 5,000-mile journey. 
The young birds are on their own to find the tiny islands of Fiji in the vast Pacific Ocean. They travel nonstop without a guide and arrive with pinpoint accuracy to the same mud flaps and sandy beaches where their parents have flown. Unlike seabirds, they can stop, rest, and feed along the way. Curlews will drown if they land on the ocean. The 5,000-mile trip is all or nothing. How do you explain a curlew's ability to navigate untaught to the opposite hemisphere some 5,000 miles across the Pacific, flying nonstop and landing with pinpoint accuracy at their winter home? Evolution implies that all this happened by accident and chance. End of quote. Irreducible complexity is all over this picture, but the professor told his class it was simply a product of time and chance. His students replied, isn't that something? Back to creation101.org. The cuttlefish. The oceans are full of amazing creatures, but none are masters of the skies like the cuttlefish. This creature has been coined the king of camouflage. It can distort its body into 40 different body shapes, mimicking everything from a starfish to a squid, change its skin texture to mimic its background like corals, kelps, or rocks, display a dizzying array of motion from swaying seaweed to swimming fish, change colors across the spectrum from red to blue to yellow, and flash zebra-like patterns across its body. And all of these colors, textures, shapes, and patterns can be changed within seconds. One scientist studying the cuttlefish was amazed as he watched each cuttlefish transform into a tailor-made camouflage pattern for a particular microhabitat. Two different cuttlefish settled to the ocean bottom. One instantly took on the coloration of texture of sand and disappeared into the background. The other was only 10 feet away where algae covered the ocean body, and it took on the coloration and texture of algae. Each of these two cuttlefish tailor-made its camouflage pattern. How are cuttlefish able to do this when they can't even see their skin? End of quote. The college professor's answer, evolution. Given enough time and chance, well, anything can happen. And the class said, no kidding. One last short from creation101.org. Mangrove trees and ants. Mangrove trees live alongside the ocean where their roots are flooded with salty ocean water. You would not expect ants, which build their home underground, to build nests in such a wet location. Believe it or not, some ants thrive within Australia's mangrove swamps. They build their cities deep into the mud some 18 inches below a mangrove tree. Twice a day, at high tide, their city is flooded. The ants have designed their mound with two entrances that collapse at high tide, plugging the entrances and ensuring the safety of the ants inside. When seawater does leak into the underground tunnels, the ants scurry around moving their eggs and brood to different galleries. The bell-shaped galleries ensure that air is trapped, saving the ants from drowning. When the water recedes at low tide, the ants repair their city and others hunt the small crustaceans on the mudflats. Two times a day, Seven days a week, 365 days a year, the ants repair their entrances and go hunting. Why would ants choose to live in such a way? End of quote. The university's instructor's answer? Just an evolutionary adaptation. That's all it is. 
a room full of young minds say, isn't that interesting? Concerning the ant, God said, consider her ways. What a fabulous demonstration of creator skills. Psalms 14, verse 1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. God said, Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 28, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like the corruptible man and the birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned then their lusts one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. God said, Proverbs chapter 6, 6, 7, and 8, Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. God said, Psalm 77, verse 12, I will meditate also of all thy work and talk of thy doings. Man said, Evolution should no longer be referred to as a theory, Anyone with any real education knows it's true. Now you have the record.